0: The reading is taken from um, St. Paul's letter to the, to the Ephesians, um, chapter 6, verses 10 to 20. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armour of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm, then, with the belt of truth buckled round your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, And always keep on praying for all the saints. Pray also for me, that whenever I open my mouth, words may be given me, so that I may fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly, as I should. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Good evening. Good evening. Um, My name's Stuart. And uh, I'm one of the curates here, work on the student team. And if we haven't met before, I'd love to, love to meet you. And uh, we're going to be looking at this wonderful passage on the armour of God from Ephesians tonight. Shall we pray as we, as we begin? Lord, we thank you for your word. And we thank you for the way that it reveals so many things about you and about life that we would otherwise not know. And how your desire is through your word to equip us and to strengthen us for the walk following you. We pray that that's exactly what you would do tonight. Through your word and through my words that you would equip us tonight to live for you. Amen. Okay, well, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, the great Baptist preacher, once said, Like the Spartans... Every Christian is born a warrior. It is his destiny to be assaulted. Like the Spartans, every Christian is born a warrior. It is his destiny to be assaulted. Uh, gee whiz! Thanks, thanks, Charles. Uh, really encouraging. Uh, you know, a bit, bit of a pick me up at the beginning of the sermon there uh, from from Charles. There. It is his destiny to be assaulted. Wow. What, what, what do you think about that? How do you feel about that? Uh, that. Uh, description by Spurgeon of the Christian life. Well, you know, actually, I, I think sometimes I have a lot of sympathy with it. I don't know whether you've asked recently um, what, why it seems to be such a struggle sometimes to follow, to follow the Lord. And I don't want to set off on the wrong foot. You know, following the Lord is full of joys. The Christian life is full of amazing things as well. But sometimes it is difficult. I don't know whether you've ever wondered why it seems so often that the, doing the right thing it takes so much more energy than doing the wrong thing. Why it seems uh, that we can never quite get our hearts completely under control. I don't know whether you've, you've got yours under control, but I feel that I'm always just one step away <laughs> from, from going off track. I don't know why it is it's so difficult sometimes to keep going with the work that God has given me. It just feels like just going, some, just going in the same direction, doing what God has called me to do, sometimes just feels difficult. Why there seems to be so many things that would pull me off track. Why there seem to be so many obstacles and challenges. Why is it that following Jesus seems sometimes such a struggle? Well, tonight, Paul is going to help us out. He is going to kind of lift the hood of the car, he's gonna pull back the veil, and he, he is helping us out by revealing one of the reasons why we struggle. You know, I wanted you to encourage us. He says there in the passage, your struggle is not against. And he goes on, he says this is gonna be a struggle, but then he says he's gonna he's gonna help us. And and Paul is gonna help us with two things tonight. He's gonna to help us with a warning, he's gonna tell us of a challenge that we face in our Christian walk. If we set off down this path. If we decide we're going to try and make it to the end following Jesus, we're going to face a challenge. And then after that, he comes to equip us, to strengthen us, to give us some equipment to deal with this, to, with this challenge. And so we're going to see what he has to say to us tonight. So what is it that Paul says that we are going to face? What is the challenge in the Christian life that he reveals is a part of our struggle? Well, he says to us there, doesn't he? For, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. Now, for many of us, this, 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 this might just seem totally weird. This language is, is just really weird, and we have, we have no idea really what he's talking about. But what Paul wants us to know, and what I want to just put out really as plainly as possible is that we have an opponent, we have an enemy, we have someone whose purpose in life is to get us off track with God. There is someone out there who would like nothing more than you to fail in your work with God, your walk with God and your work with God. And, um, Paul tells us a few things about him. First of all, he tells us that this enemy is spiritual. You might have noticed there, he says, our enemy is not flesh and blood. In other words, most of us, most of the time when we meet a challenge in our lives, we look at what's right in front of us. We look at the lack of finances that we face. We look at the person who's insulting us. We look at the, uh, I don't know, the organization that seems to be set up against our favor. But Paul says to us, actually, you know what, your real struggle is not just against those things, but behind that and beyond that, there is a spiritual opposition that you are going to face if you're going to be trying to run this race for Jesus. And he names, he names that enemy as the devil and spiritual powers which follow him. Now, I understand that as soon as I say the word the devil... Um, all kinds of images are going to come rushing into our head rather involuntarily. You know, you've got uh, the horns, uh, you've got the tail, the cape, uh, basically, uh, you know, how he looks on The Simpsons. Um, that or maybe maybe uh, if you're a little bit, you know, you, you, something from Buffy, Buffy the Vampire Slayer or a more modern reference, um, which involves the sort of weird and demonic. But of course, uh, these are all just pictures from cartoons and actually there is absolutely no reason whatsoever to believe that the devil is anything like that every single piece of that image i've just described is a piece of fiction there's nothing nothing to to think that that is what paul is talking about at all so what does the bible say about this enemy which we face well first of all uh most importantly he's real he's real He's not a fairy tale. He's not just a general force of evil, like maybe in Star Wars, this kind of general thing. It's not a perf- not a literary personification, kind of a nice way of writing about the idea of evil. If you read the Gospels, you won't get far before Jesus talks about the devil as real. If you Uh, read through Paul there are more than this occasion where he talks about the devil as real and all the way through the New Testament I think you'd be hard-pressed to find a New Testament book that doesn't talk about the devil as real and alongside these references um, the devil's influence in the world explains a good many things Um, I mean if you if you if you're the kind of person who thinks gee whiz have I just walked in I've sat in and in front of me here is is a whack job preacher and he's just making this up right Well, you know, let's refer to a sort of calm, a steady authority. Maybe the Anglican church, you know, the kind of central bastion of uh, kind of, surely they don't believe in this nut stuff. I'll tell you, actually, there is something called a uh, deliverance ministry team set up in every single diocese in the Church of England that is tasked specifically with engaging with this kind of stuff. And um, we can go, I could tell you so many stories, but here's a great quote from Romeo Dallaire, um, who was commander of the UN peacekeeping force in Rwanda during the genocide. And he wrote this in his memoirs. He said, I know that there is a God, because in Rwanda, I shook hands with the devil. I have seen him, I have smelled him, and I have touched him. I know the devil exists, and therefore I know that there is a God. The Bible talks about this enemy that we face as a very real influence in the world. And um, as we look around it, it's Christian experience over the ages that this is the case. Now, the Bible isn't exactly clear, isn't entirely clear what the devil is. Uh, it's not hugely clear on that. There are some hints that we can find in parts of the Bible that might suggest that the, the devil might be a sort of an angelic being that rebelled against God. But actually, the Bible's not hugely clear. But from our passage tonight, we can pick up some very important things that we do know that the Bible does tell us about this opponent that we face. First of all, first of all, our opponent is powerful. He's powerful. Here, uh, these spiritual forces are called rulers. They're called authorities. They're called powers. And it's clear Maybe even just by the fact that Paul is warning us about them that they have influence in this world that we should be worried about them, also just note that uh, he says that they 're of this world you know sometimes there 's this image again, it just comes from cartoons uh, that the devil or you know is under in an underground cavern somewhere and he occasionally pops out to terrorize someone um, and then pops back but actually. Uh, the devil and these forces are contending for this world. This is the sphere in which the fight is going on. So first of all, our opponent is, is powerful. Second of all, he's intelligent. He's intelligent. Paul tells us here, verse 11, that we, uh, we need to s- stand against the devil's schemes. His schemes. Later on in 2 Corinthians, or earlier on in 2 Corinthians, um, he tells them not to be outwitted by Satan, not to be unaware of his schemes. The devil is intelligent. He is purposeful. And I just want to sort of say, I'm, I'm pretty sure that the devil has a plan, that the spiritual forces in Cambridge have a plan for this church. God has a plan for this church. God has a plan for each one of us. God has a plan to prosper us as a community, to build us up, to strengthen us, to use us. For good. But I'm pretty sure that Satan looking on at this place, which is a place of worship, a place where God is lifted up, where you and I are, are trying to seek out God, that the devil is not unaware of that. And he himself has a plan for us. He's purposeful and intelligent. And next, we're told, finally, we're told that he is evil, that these forces are evil. There's a myth sometimes, I think. That, you know, if we believe in a spiritual world at all, then it's just kind of this neutral spiritual space. We get it from Harry Potter, where magic is not good or bad. It's just how you use it. Uh, you know, we get it from, from, the, from Star Wars, where the forces, you, know, so, you know, which way are you going to go? Are you going to use it for good or for evil? But in the Bible, we're told that there are only two kinds of spiritual forces. There are those who are following God and serving him. And there are those who are against him. And it's very clear in Scripture, it's very clear in this passage. Because he calls them uh, the powers of this dark world and the forces of evil. That these forces are out to destroy. And in particular, the particular aim of Satan in this world is to destroy God's people. Is to, to get us off track with God. You know, God himself is not... God, is, God himself is not a target for Satan God himself is is, is, is far above uh, in power and majesty but what God loves you and I are very much in the fight and satan i don 't think Satan cares if you and I are happy i don 't think he cares if we 're having a jolly i don 't think he, he uh, think he cares if we 're achieving our life aims i don 't think he cares if we 're fit as a fiddle um, his main aim is to get us off track, to get us separated from God. If he, he knows that if he can split us off from the giver of life, then his work is done. And ultimately, we will fall. And it's not really in this passage, but because this is such an odd topic, and for some of us, this might be the first time we've ever heard about it, or the first time we've thought about it in a while. I just want to highlight some of the some of the ways in which Satan does this, some of the tactics he uses. Because I don't know about you, when I think about this, I think, well, when was the last time this might have happened? You know, is this just have I just totally missed this, or what, how, how does this happen? How does uh, how do these forces engage with me? What should I be aware of? And I just want to highlight four of Satan's favorite tactics that we find in Scripture. And they are disinformation, distraction, discouragement, and discord. Disinformation, distraction, discouragement, and discord. Disinformation because Jesus calls Satan the father of lies. Satan knows that the truth about who God is and God's plans for us is all they're all good. If we really let the truth sink into our heart and lives, it will transform us and transform the world. That Satan is the master of half of the half truth, of the niggling doubt, of the whisper that comes, did God really say? Whether it be in society as a whole, those lies that come about You know, where where is value placed or whether it be when we're tired and we're struggling and it's just that voice that comes, that is that voice that just says, did God really say, what about this? Disinformation is one of the tactics that Satan uses. Then there's distraction. Because if Satan can't get you to disbelieve the truth, then he sure as anything isn't going to let you act on it. Um, Adrian Rogers who's a preacher, says this, if Satan can't make you bad, he'll make you busy. If Satan can't make you bad, he'll make you busy. I wonder, are there any of us who are out of the fight simply because we are too busy? We're too distracted to be doing God's work. Then, of course, there's discouragement because if Satan can't distract us, if he can't get us heading off peace and he can't uh, completely get us off track with God, then he's going to discourage us. He's going to put as many obstacles in our way so that when trying, we're trying to do God's work, uh, we begin to wonder if we've got it all wrong. You know that? You know, have you ever had that? You're trying, to, you're trying to do something, and I think it particularly happens when we're trying to do evangelism. I think it particularly happens when we come uh, to tell people about Jesus, if you ever had it, suddenly everything goes wrong. Suddenly the computer goes down. Suddenly you get a phone call from your mother-in-law and, and everything's gone wrong at home. Suddenly you, you get, and it's just, it is sometimes bizarre. And I'm not going to say that that is always the work of a spiritual force, but often discouragements come when we are heading in the right direction. And I just wonder whether there are any people here tonight who know that they are doing what God has asked them to do, and they've suddenly found themselves up against a whole wall of obstacles. And I just want to say, don't assume it's gotten hard because you're going in the wrong direction. Because that's one of Satan's tactics. And then finally, the last one I just want to mention is is, uh, the tactic of discord. Again and again and again in the New Testament, it identifies one of the devil's chief tactics is to spread discord in the church, to separate Christians from one another. Satan loves it nothing more than when you and I are spending all our energy at each other's throats. Whether it's just feuding over secondary issues, whether it's jostling for position and who's going to be top of the tree, whether it's be just grumbling against one another, against the plans for the church against the leaders, whatever it is. That is one of Satan's favorite tactics. Doesn't mind Christians in the fight as long as they're fighting one another. I just want to say tonight, you know, if, if you are spreading discouragement and discord, splitting the family of God up, then be, be careful. Because in Boris Johnson's recent phraseology, you, you, are, you are being Satan's useful idiot. You are. So be careful. So That's the kind of things we're up against. That's the warning. That's the warning. That behind the many visible challenges which we so often and so quickly notice, we as Christians have, we have an opponent. We have a powerful, intelligent, evil, spiritual enemy who wants to get us off track with God. And he wants to get us off track as a church. So that's the warning. What's the response? Because Paul expects us to respond. And, 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 and that's the negative. Don't worry. We're, it's uphill from... Uphill? Is uphill easy or hard? I don't know. But it's, it's positive from here. Um, uh, and Paul wants to equip us. He says here several times in this passage, stand, take your stand. He says it about three or four times. And he expects, he fully expects that if we listen to him, if we take on board what he's saying, that we will be those people and this church that stands against this enemy. So what what do we have to do? What what has Paul got for us that is going to equip us in this fight? Well, he tells us to put on the whole armour of God. The whole armour of God. And he was probably, uh, quite possibly, right in, in front of a soldier, a Roman soldier, wearing his full armor. So maybe he was imagining that. So it, it's a nice image. But he tells us to put on the whole armor of God. And we're going to have a look at this armor. What, what have we been equipped with? But I do think it is, before we, we dive into the individual parts of the armor, we look at the, the sword and the shield and all the rest, I think it is well worth taking a step back and looking at the armour as a whole, looking at the whole uh, suit, if you like, together. Because there are some things worth noticing when we do that. And I think it's worth noticing that, if you just think about it, when Paul comes to equipping the Ephesian church for spiritual warfare, for fighting this invisible spiritual enemy, he doesn't teach them some kind of new spiritual jiu-jitsu. I mean, I don't know about you, but I would kind of expect that from the films I've watched and, you know, the other authorities on spiritual warfare that I've come across in comics, Um, I expect, I don't know, I expect there to be holy water in there or some sort of cross or at least some sort of special way of praying or an incantation or something that kind of makes me, it's kind of the, the trick to pull out of the bag when I'm in the fight. But actually, I find it amazing to see that there's none of that here. What, what do we see when we take a careful look at the armour? What actually is it? Well, there's, there's nothing new here. Unless faith and salvation are new to you. What is it that we find when we look at the whole armour of God? We find it is a life lived close to God. What do we find? The life, it is a life lived close to and a life lived open to God that's what we see when we look at it as a whole and i think it is worth noting on that level just the most important thing about the armor of god is described here which is it's all about god our spiritual armor our spiritual defense in the fight is god he he says that right from the beginning verse 10 he says doesn't he be strong in the lord and in his mighty power we don't need to be worried that we don't know the right spiritual jiu-jitsu to take on satan we need to get close to the almighty god that's why it's called the armor of god and it is really important having outlined kind of the threat if you like um i always i love watching the west wing and i feel like we're in the we're in the kind of uh was situation room and there's the threat on the wall having outlined having outlined the threat we need to outline um uh what, what, what's on our side <laughs> and it's so important to know that though we have a, an enemy who is real and who is powerful and we have to be wary of the one on our side god is infinitely stronger infinitely more powerful This is not a battle between two equal and opposite forces. This is not a yin versus a yang. This is the almighty creator of the universe who is our God. And a creature or creatures who have sinned. It's not a contest. There's There's not a fight for the throne in heaven. That is permanently occupied. That position is taken by the living God creator of everything. And not only is Satan um, no contest for God, but he is a defeated enemy. He's defeated. We're told in one of Paul's other letters, Colossians, um, that Jesus disarmed the powers and authorities, the very same powers and authorities that he's talking about here. He disarmed these powers and authorities and made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Since the cross and the resurrection, our enemy has been robbed of his only lasting weapons against Christians. He's been robbed of his only lasting weapons, which are sin and death. Sin and death. Sin because sin separates us from God. Death because death finishes the job of sin. But since the cross and the forgiveness that was earned there... Through the blood of Jesus, sin no longer counts against us, against us when we turn and we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And since the resurrection, death can no longer hold us when we put our trust in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so for Christians, for you and I who are in Jesus Christ, who have his forgiveness and have his life, the promise of new life. Satan ultimately has no weapons that can hold us. This is not a, you know, we've got to be wary, but we should not, we should not get too scared. It's, it's, it's a problem to be too scared of Satan because that means you're looking more at him than you are looking at the living God. And we're told that when Jesus returns with one word, he will end Satan's reign on this earth. It'll be that simple. One word. I love this quote from A.W. Tozer. He says, he says this. I'm not afraid of the devil. The devil can handle me. He's got judo I never heard of. But he can't handle the one to whom I'm joined. He can't handle the one to whom I'm united. He can't handle the one whose nature dwells in my nature. Yes, the devil can handle you and me, but he can't handle God. God. And and I, I, I find it just really helpful to notice that this armour of God is about co- coming close to the God who is almighty, coming under his protection, coming under his hand, coming into his light. And I've used this analogy before, but I really like it. I've been doing a bit of gardening. Uh, spring um, has begun officially, uh, according to my gardening. And um, I've been out in the garden this week and... Um, if you find a tub, you know, or a slab that has been sitting there all winter, upside down, and you flip it over on the first day of spring, what are you going to find? You're going to find all kinds of critters, you're going to find all kinds of slugs, and just everything that you didn't know was in your garden. And, uh, you know, and I did that a couple of times. And, about, you know, did I, to get those kind of critters in, underneath the tub, did I need, did I need to put out a little invitation Did I need to sort of go around uh, Facebook advertising? Did I need to put out a little map around the garden to invite them to get under the tub? No, they didn't. I didn't have to do that at all. The tub was just the right environment. It was dark. It was damp. It was warm. It was out of the light. And in those places, that's that's where you'll find those critters. But what did I have to do to get rid of all of those little creatures? Not much at all. I just had to turn the tub upside down. I just had to let the the warmth in and the light in and the air in. And they just can't stand it. They'll disappear. They'll go. And I think when we look at the armour of God as a whole, this is the lesson we learn. This is true for our lives as well. Satan will take hold of any space that is out of the light of God. Satan cannot stand the presence of God. He is no match for the light and the truth and the goodness and the power of the living God. And anywhere we turn upwards into the light of the living God, there no darkness will be found. And Satan will have no hold. So as a whole, what do we learn? To, to turn our lives upwards to God. And I just want... I. I nearly left this out, but I just think I have to include this. There are some particular ways that we can make our lives dark. Um, And we'll talk about a few later on when we get to the armor. But there are some ways in which we can open ourselves to spiritual attack. Unwittingly sometimes. And that is by engaging with spiritual activities that are not of God. And sometimes these things are so poo-pooed in our culture. They're seen as like... So pathetic and so not true that we, we don't even worry about them. But I want to say that we should worry about them. That if we are getting involved in things like Ouija boards, seances, mediums, um, tarot cards, psychic fairs, Freemasonry, Wicca. Um, the, these things, there's so many of them. I couldn't list them. But there, there are many spiritual things and they are dark places. There are places that are not in the the light of God. The Scripture tells us, Old Testament and New Testament, to stay away from spiritual things that are not of God. But it's not just these kind of spiritual things that make our lives good environments for for the devil. It's just any place where we've closed our lives off from God. So that's, I think, the central point of the armour. But I just wanted to to spend just a minute each looking at each of these pieces of the armour because they're there. It would be a shame. I, I think that he hasn't just drawn us a, 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 an overall picture. He's given us some specific things for us to uh, to take, pay attention on. And each of these pieces of the armour is relevant, particularly in the case of spiritual warfare. So first of all, we're told about the belt of truth. The belt of truth. And I, I think here Paul means general truth, just kind of truth, truth, like Telling the truth. Um, later on he talks about the Word of God, so I think he's talking about something separate there. But I just want to remind us that lies are the devil's games. Lies are the devil's tools. and we both open ourselves to Satan and we also become a tool for Satan when we abandon the truth. Now that sounds like, you know obvious and like, you know, but it is so easy. it is so easy to twist the truth never comes obviously. It doesn't come with a kind of, you know, Watergate level. Uh, that's never how it starts. You know, I had something on my desk on Monday, just came onto my desk and uh, with some instructions, someone, not from anyone in the church, but someone had asked me to, to fill in some books, uh, some legal paperwork in a certain way. And the more I looked at it, I just thought, there's something off here. I'm not sure I can, I'm not sure I can sign this. And I didn't really know what I was doing, and I. I but I, I'm so glad I checked. But it would have been so easy. The person was there saying, "Come on, just sign us. Come on, just do it, because it'll make life easier." And it would have made life easier. But as soon as we, as soon as we um, enter that territory, we've lost. And we need to stay in in the truth, even if it's costly, because lies are the devil's weapon. We mustn't resort to, especially in the church, to politics and manipulation and propaganda, when we've stopped talking honestly with one another. Even when it's painful, we've begun to lose. Next, we have the 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 breastplate of righteousness, and um, this almost certainly refers to a moral, upright life. Not not so much to some people. Sometimes you hear people say. Uh, oh, it's it's the fact that God has forgiven us in you know, a righteousness given to us. But it probably refers to a holy life, a life that pleases God. And that is because earlier on in Ephesians, Paul says, Don't sin and don't give the devil a foothold, a toehold in your life. And that's a very evocative image. Holy people people set on living a life that pleases God are slippery to the devil. A a holy life is a life that's slippery to the devil. He can't get a grip in it. He's got no leverage. He's got no starting point, no landing. He's not D-Day landing position to work from. But sin, however small, it is a landing beach for Satan in our lives. It's a small opening. How many people have we known who have ended up really in trouble really falling away really ending their relationship with God with something that started small a relationship that started small a lie that started small an addiction or a habit that started small sin has a way of growing and if we are if we are complacent um, we will, we will, we we will lose out. You know, sometimes we are complacent because we think, well, God is merciful. You know, God, God, God forgives. God is merciful. Satan is not, and he will take the smallest things and turn them into um, landing landing bays in our lives. But a holy life is slippery to God. It's slippery to Satan. Next, we have um, readiness talks about the shoes or the sandals that are the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace and i think this is really about readiness and particularly readiness to share the gospel later on paul prays he says when you're praying pray for me pray what that i'll be feeling happier that i will no pray that even under spiritual attack i will continue to share the gospel and i think this piece of the army uh, of the armor readiness is armour against, against discouragement and against battening down the hatches. You know, Satan would love it. You know, if he can't get us off track with God, he'd love it if he just throws us a bit of discord, a bit of discouragement, a few lies, and we just batten down the hatches. We just say, okay, well, until we've got this sorted, until life gets easier, until, until uh, I've solved this problem, I'm, I'm going to kind of put down my serving the Lord. You know, that always seems the first thing, it's the easiest thing. Well, gee, it's so hard sharing the gospel. I'm just going to put that down until life's easier. It's so hard inviting someone along or serving in this way. The devil knows that if he can get us just to batten down the hatches and not to share the gospel, then he can do that all day long. But readiness to share the gospel is a weapon, is armor against um, Satan's weapons. And then we have the shield of faith. And very simply, I just think this is, this is about lifting our eyes to God. Satan would love nothing more than when we are faced with challenges, discouragements, and challenges, we look at them just on the human realm. We look at them just in the realm of human possibilities. Oh, facing a financial challenge to the things God has asked me. Well, that's not possible. There's no way we can raise that. Well, it is if God's involved. I'm looking at this, this this challenge in my life. I can never get rid of this. You know, I, 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 it's been the same for 10 years. Well, it's not possible if you think like that. But when God's involved, it can be. And faith is our way of looking at the spiritual realm or what's going on, what the stakes are in the spiritual realm. Seeing Satan at work, yes, but seeing the God who is over all things. And we have to choose that. We have to choose in the challenge, in the obstacle, To ask, Lord, what is going on? What do you have to say, and what are you going to do? That's a piece of armor against discouragement, against lies. Then we have salvation, the helmet of salvation. And I actually think this is the hope of salvation. That's what he calls it in 1 Thessalonians the hope of salvation. And I think the hope of salvation is armour because the Christian life is too costly to live without the hope that is coming. The Christian life is too costly to live fully. It is too time-consuming. It is too emotionally draining. It is too uh, financially costly. It is too relentlessly difficult. Unless we know in our heart of hearts that when the Lord returns, it is all going to be worth it. And Satan will just keep coming. And if we are going to keep going, then we need to set our hearts on the resurrection. We need to set our minds on the inheritance that will be ours. We need to tell ourselves that Satan can do his worst. And when he has finished with our bodies, he cannot take our souls because those are God's and he will raise us to life. The Ephesians were facing physical persecution. The hope of salvation is armor against the weapons of the enemy. It enables us to endure. And finally, we have the word of God. The sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And I think it is relevant that this is the only offensive part of the armor. We see that when Jesus was being tempted in the wilderness, he responded by quoting The scriptures. And it is. It is the truth about God. It's the truth that that he's revealed about himself. It is the promises that we have from him. It is those things that we we know. uh, By his revelation. That are our weapon against Satan. And a Christian. Without God's word. Is a sitting duck. A Christian. In the middle of a battlefield. Without a sword. It is just only a matter of time. Not only will you be defenseless, but you will also not do any damage.